0: Welcome to the Derek Hunter Podcast. We have made it through the week, everybody. Give yourself a pat on the back. Thank you so much for spending these days with me. I am Dean Kariannis. I am the host of the History Author Show, and I am a columnist at the New York Sun. I'm also a longtime Rush Limbaugh staffer, and I am stepping out from behind that EIB curtain for no other reason than to spend time with each and every one of you. This is Friday, December 29th, 2023, and it is the last day of this year. Can you believe it already? Still no hover cars. In fact, there have been no hover cars for so long, people are getting tired of using that joke about there being no hover cars, but nothing's hovering. It's 2023. We're on the eve of 2024. Things had better start hovering or there are going to be even more riots in the streets than there already are. But just the same, let's end this year on a high note. Hit it, Nixon! My fellow Earthicans, we enjoy so much freedom, it's almost sickening. We're free to choose which hand our sex-monitoring chip is implanted in. And if we don't want to pay our taxes, why, we're free to spend a weekend with the pain monster. See you April 15th, folks! You, the fireworks guy! Yes, that is the head in a jar of Richard Nixon from the cartoon Futurama. And why not end the year with a little cartoon satire? That is going to be important later, that specific episode, the Freedom Day episode of Futurama. You want to stay tuned for that. If you want more of my unique blend of pop culture, history, politics, please do visit me at HistoryAuthor.com, at NYSun.com, and at HistoryDean on the Twitters. Plus, remember to support this show at DerekHunter.Locals.com and Patreon.com slash DerekHunterPodcast. I will be back here on Monday, New Year's Day of 2024, because you deserve no less. Why should I take a day off? Many of you out there are working. I know I spent many of those days working on holidays. I'll probably still be writing columns on January 1st. That's what happens when you love your job, right? You never work a day in your life. You never want to stop writing, never want to stop working. So you as loyal listeners to the Derek Hunter podcast won't miss out. I'll make sure I am here for you. And if you have nothing to listen to that day, don't worry. Come right here. And if you're hungover, I promise I will talk very NPR. I'll say a lot of, hmm, Bill Schneider. Remember Judy Woodruff? That would be the perfect voice for a hungover first of the year. Make sure you drink lots of water. Make sure you eat. Remember what the dormouse said? Feed your head. Yesterday, the news everywhere was on Governor Nikki Haley, the former governor of South Carolina, also the ambassador to the United Nations. And she took this question about the cause of the Civil War. And it just shows (laughs) this is what happens when you're on a campaign. Anything can be a misstep. You really have to be on all the time and this was very strange. I think it gave us an insight into Governor Haley and the way that her mind works. I think she has a very political mind. I think she has a, one of those minds that you overthink things. You Maybe you're thinking a little bit of what people want to hear, not necessarily what you want to say. And you think that the long answer is probably the best answer. Nothing can be a short answer because those are just boring. And sometimes also they try to run out the clock. If you say enough things, you'll eventually get the person tired and they'll be too embarrassed to ask you to follow up on it. But that was not the case here. And this is my column. You can go read it now at nysun.com. The headline is Haley Struggles with Civil War Question, Slowing Her Momentum in a Gift to Trump. Opponents of Governor Haley's bid for the presidency are seizing on her stumble over a question about the origins of the Civil War, hoping her failure to mention slavery as the cause will doom her surge against President Trump. Now, if you listened last time I was on with Derek for a few days, I used that term seize or broke down how that's always used. Republicans always seize everything. Have you noticed that? It's always something will happen, and rather than them praising Republicans for a quick reaction the way that they did, If you're old enough to remember the Bill Clinton campaign, they say they seized on it or they jump on it or they pounce. Republicans are always pouncing. They're a very active bunch, are those Republicans, I guess. And this was the case. So I I like to be able to use that verb, seize, the other way around because it's a fun word. It's even fun to say, isn't it? I won't say it again because last time my wife, Kathy, told me I said seize too many times. So I will spare you any more of that. I could say she seized on my seizing, but I won't say that. I'll go right back here to Nikki Haley. She was riding high, everybody. Last week, a poll by American Research Group, Inc. found that she was within four points of Mr. Trump in New Hampshire. And other polls, of course, showed her trailing and falling farther behind. But still, she was enjoying this influx of cash, this media attention that came with it, able to buy some ads, Then came this campaign event on Wednesday at Berlin, New Hampshire. What, a man identified as Patrick, asked her, was the cause of the United States Civil War. Here's the full clip. Yes, sir.
1: Thank you, Ambassador. Thank you. Please, um, what was the cause of the United States Civil War? Well, don't come with an easy question or anything. I mean, I think the cause of the Civil War was basically how government was going to run, the freedoms and what people could and couldn't do. What do you think the cause of the Civil War was? I'm sorry? I mean, I think it always comes down to the role of government and what the rights of the people are. And we, I will always stand by the fact that I think government was intended to secure the rights and freedoms of the people. It was never meant to be all things to all people. Government doesn't need to tell you how to live your life. They don't need to tell you what you can and can't do. They don't need to be a part of your life. They need to make sure that you have freedom. We need to have capitalism. We need to have economic freedom. We need to make sure that we do all things so that individuals have the liberties so that they can have freedom of speech, freedom of religion, freedom to do or be anything they want to be without government getting in the way what do you want me to say about slavery next question
0: in campaigns the short soundbite penetrates and if you're a fan of dune that's invoking dune about the slow blade penetrating through the shield i don't know if anybody will catch that that's where that struck me from it's not a direct quote so it's okay that i didn't put it in quotes no one else will get it but it is the short soundbite that penetrates the word penetrates in my mind made me think of dune Ms. Haley proceeded to say both too much and too little on what ought to have been a layup for a candidate in the party of Lincoln. Well, she said after a six-second pause, don't come up with an easy question. And it was an easy question. It was something that she may not have realized was a trap, but to me it was less a trap than it was just trivia. It was a pretty easy question when you think about it. And it reminded me of the Ted Kennedy question. They often cite that as being a gotcha Roger Mudd asking him, why do you want to be president? And Kennedy hemmed it hard and wasn't sure, kind of was mealy-mouthed. And the truth of that was that CBS taped that before he announced his candidacy, but they released it after he was a candidate. So it gave people this impression that the guy had no reason to be president. But, in fact, what had happened was he hadn't announced yet, and so he didn't want to scoop himself by saying right then he was running. So that's why it was kind of a little sneaky trick that CBS played on Ted Kennedy, I quoted the 18th century English writer Samuel Johnson. He said, A man who uses a great many words to express his meaning is like a bad marksman who, instead of aiming a single stone at an object, takes up a handful and throws at it in hopes that he may hit. And I think that's what Nikki Haley was doing here. Just kept lobbing those rocks. She starts talking about the size of government and she starts talking about freedom. Then she starts talking about freedom a little bit more which is to remind me of that Futurama episode. That's one of those buzzwords that she used there and it reminded me of this little song. Freedom,
1: freedom, freedom, oi! Freedom, 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 oi!
0: There's no denying it. The future's crazy. Oh, well, don't want to
1: stand out. Freedom,
0: freedom, freedom, oi! Freedom, 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 oi! There's nothing crazy about it. It's just Freedom Day. So what is Freedom Day?
1: Sounds like some kind of feminine hygiene product.
0: No, it's a fabulous, crabulous day. If you want to do something, you do it and to split with the consequences. Okay, so when somebody leans on rhetoric like that, on platitudes like that, even if people don't, of course, think of that Futurama episode, they are going to be a little bit turned off by it. It's not going to hit home. This had nothing to do with the size of government. It was a great speech if it had been about the size of government and the role in our lives, but it was not about that. And you can tell by the fact that she later claimed that this guy was a Democratic plant, this Patrick fellow. That's how he identified himself by one name. He was asking about what caused the war, and it ought not have been that tough to list slavery among the causes. It was a pretty big deal. There's a quote by Nathan Bedford Forrest, who spoke at the Democratic Convention in 1868, also was the founder of the KKK, one of the founders of the KKK. They really need a lot of people to tell them to go hate the freedmen. And he responded to this whole notion that became a lost cause myth by saying that talking about states' rights was BS because if it hadn't been for the enslaved people, he would not have fought the war at all. What was the point? Of course, he didn't say enslaved people. He used that term that Democrats like to use for their enslaved Americans who they didn't much like being emancipated. Governor Haley asked this guy, Patrick, what he thought the cause was, and he said, I'm not running for president. You are, which I think is pretty legitimate. And another thing that's a theme Derek gets to is, even if the guy is a Democrat, you're going to need to win some of those voters. I say this again and again. I cite it again and again in my writing, but Republicans are at a 10.6 million voter registration disadvantage nationally. They cannot win elections without tempting people who are independent and peeling off some Democrats. The numbers just aren't there. They can't run a base-only election. President Trump came close. He tried to whip that base into a frenzy. George W. Bush tried it in 2004. Didn't win by all that much doing that. The numbers just aren't there. So you have to have appeal to other people. And this, I think, is a sign of, I think you put a more talented politician in this situation, and they deal with it a lot better. In any case, we don't know if this guy, Patrick, was a, quote, plant. I don't know why Democrats would be going in there. They didn't ask her for much. This was not a gotcha. I don't see it at all as that. But he said that he was troubled. She didn't, he couldn't believe that she didn't cite in 2023 slavery as a cause of the Civil War. President Biden rebuked her in a forward tweet that said it was about slavery. Now, I wrote in The Sun that this was a stone Ms. Haley might have lobbed back at the man living in a glass White House. In 1987 in South Carolina, eyeing a run for president, Mr. Biden sought to curry favor with those unreconstructed Confederates by saying Delaware, which he represented in the Senate, had been a slave state during the Civil War twice, as recently as the 2008 presidential campaign, Mr. Biden repeated that slave state line as a matter of pride. Haley might have cited those statements, or she could have just quoted Abraham Lincoln, who in his second inaugural spoke of those enslaved by, quote, peculiar and powerful interests, unquote, that all knew, quote, was somehow the cause of the war. I really don't know who she thought she would please. Maybe this is a sign of her Southern upbringing where it's ingrained in you that it's more complex than just slavery, but to leave it out entirely, she surely knew about it. She seemed almost insulted later, but I'll get to that in a minute, that anybody would think that she had forgotten slavery. I wrote that as the governor of South Carolina in 2015, Ms. Haley oversaw the removal of the Confederate flag from Capitol grounds. That was a move that was made easier in a state known for its Southern pride by that tragic racist Charleston church massacre. And she's also of Indian ancestry. She's spoken of the discrimination she faced growing up in the Palmetto State. I remember one story she told was she entered a beauty pageant and they didn't know where to put her. They didn't know which race to put her with because they had to segregate everything back then. I wrote that the fact the Democratic Party-led secession would have also provided a fine retort. Instead, whether with an eye on voters, with a lingering affection for the Confederacy, or because she tends to overthink things, Ms. Haley slung none of these rocks at the bullseye. And I want to pause for a minute and say, I understand in the heat of the moment, I don't always say exactly what I should say. I can point out many examples of that, I'm sure, in my own life where I say the wrong thing. But if you're a candidate, I want your instinct to be offense. I worked for Rush for many years. That was always his instinct. He never crawled into a ball. He never got defensive. If He got a hard question. He relished it and was ready for it. And this is an example of doing the opposite. Campaigns, they get you tired, they wear you down, and it's always when you're really tired that you make this kind of mistake. But that's part of the job. You're not always going to be well-rested when a crisis hits the country. So if you're asking for that scrutiny, you are going to have to be ready for it and deal with this kind of thing. What surprised me was even the next morning when it was clear what the story was becoming, Haley remained defiant, and she didn't really change anything. She just took all those freedom words and and all those things about government and just kind of shook them up, and (laughs) retold them, said them again. Here's what she told WTPL's Good Morning New Hampshire radio show.
1: Civil War was about slavery. We know that. That's, That's the easy part of it. What I was saying was, what does it mean to us today? What it means to us today is about freedom. That's what that was all about. It was about individual freedom. It was about economic freedom. It was about individual rights. Our goal is to make sure... No, we never go back to the stain of slavery, but what's the lesson in all of that?
0: Now, there she says that's what that was all about, but the question wasn't. She meandered a lot, and what I was thinking was she's chasing President Trump, who is famous or infamous, if you so choose, for those blunt answers to questions that a seasoned politician avoids. If you ask him a question, he is going to answer it may not be what you want to hear, but if you push him and push him, even when he would be better off just walking away from a question, the guy gives you an answer, which is why it's shocking to me that journalists don't love the guy. Of course, I saw recently a poll that 3.4% of journalists are Republicans, just 3.4%. I like how they tacked on the point four there. I want to make it, it's almost 3.5%. It's not as bad as 3. This may explain why, but unlike other presidents, President Biden, look at him right now. When's the last time you saw him do a press conference, a real press conference without a bunch of names written down on cards? When was the last time you saw him stop on his way to the plane and answer a question? He does sometimes, it's usually to his detriment. So maybe that's why he doesn't do it. As I said, more seasoned politicians and Biden is seasoned to the point of, He's going to be beef jerky if he gets more seasoned. So that's probably why they avoid this kind of question. But if you're going to go do an event and take questions as Governor Haley did, you'd better be ready for it. And this is especially important right now because these are lean end-of-the-year news days. There's very little news made in this week between Christmas and New Year's. And she just gave the media a story that is going to go marching on with strong legs But the attention that it gives her is also an opportunity. As I was saying, always be ready to go on offense. She has a chance now to make her case. But to do that, she'll have to hone her aim and use fewer words and fewer rocks to hit the actual target. Hey, Sophia Petrillo, are you out there? Give a little shout out to one of the listeners to the Derek Hunter podcast who said something very nice to me today. And in my previous guest hosting stints on the show... She was nice enough to message me at History Dean on Twitter, and she said she liked my Ariana Grande coffee joke. Because I said every time I hear the name Ariana Grande, I ask, can't anyone just order a coffee anymore? So that's it. It's officially funny. One person says it on the Internet. That is what is required. That joke was officially funny stuff. Any of you who did not laugh, well, I don't know. Maybe you need your funny bone to be checked. Because, yes, that awful, silly joke was funny to one person on the Internet who is a very nice lady. My column in Friday's New York Sun has to do with a topic I touched on yesterday. And the headline there is the surprising support for bin Laden among young Americans is the bitter fruit of leftist educational priorities. There's another poll out there, and these seem to come up all the time sounding alarm bells for the future of liberty at home and abroad as young Americans express support, growing support, for Osama bin Laden and the 9-11 attacks. This is the fruit of an education system with an increasingly hard left bent, one that casts Western civilization as the world's repository of evil. I mentioned yesterday this use of polls to create news, but I have several polls here that all reflect the same trend. And this does not portend well for this country. When you have anybody out there supporting the likes of Osama bin Laden. It's really a failure of the country. It's really a surrender to the forces of evil. That we are letting people indoctrinate our children this way. JL Partners conducting the survey for the Daily Mail asked 1,000 Americans for their opinions on bin Laden. 8% of those aged 18 to 29, Gen Z, had a completely positive view of him and 12%, a somewhat favorable view, at a total of one in five leaning towards the terrorist. That combined 20% is larger than the 18.9%, the Reform Party presidential candidate H. Ross Perot won in 1996, perhaps costing George H.W. Bush re-election. Among somewhat older Americans, that's millennials, 7% say they have a completely positive view of bin Laden. I spoke to the author of Why America Slept, the Failure to Prevent 9-11, Gerald Posner, and asked him for some quotes for this piece. And this was a little update from what I talked about yesterday. So I'm not just spewing out more numbers because I know numbers and percentages are not easy to follow on the radio. And who likes math? Oh, wait, I heard you there. I heard you say you like math. Well, I am so glad for you that you like math, but let me tell you, I do not. So I prefer a nice quote from somebody like investigative journalist and attorney, Gerald Posner. He told me, the dismal poll results are a sad commentary on an educational system that has increasingly presented Western history in terms of a colonizer slash victim status. The skewed history, Mr. Posner says, is reinforced by TikTok and YouTube. This is borne out by the data science company Kaggle, which found, as The Sun reported earlier this month, that using TikTok a mere 30 minutes a day increases the chance of holding anti-Semitic or anti-Israeli views by 17%. And who's on there? Who's educating our kids today? Who's watching TikTok? It's not those members of the greatest generation. It's not Gen Xers like myself. Last month, a video about Bin Laden's letter to America went viral on TikTok, and it forced the Communist Chinese-controlled platform to scrub those posts after an outcry. I wrote about that in The Sun, by the way. I've written about a couple of columns on these. If you so choose, please do subscribe to The New York Sun. You can read the archive of all of my posts and say, hey, I know that guy. He talks to me through the radio. Mr. Posner said, once young people filter everything through a victim mentality, It is not a big jump to thinking that terrorists such as bin Laden are instead heroic resistance fighters. Let me tell you, if you ever hear that absurd moral equivalence that one man's terrorist is another man's freedom fighter, for one thing, who do they say that about? I never hear them saying it about somebody that they don't like. They only say it about people that are actual terrorists. And the great test is, is a person fighting for freedom? That's what freedom fighters do. The terrorists of al-Qaeda... The terrorists of Hamas and Hezbollah, they aren't fighting for freedom. The Ku Klux Klan wasn't fighting for freedom. These are terrorists. They're fighting for subjugation. They're fighting for a radical view of Islam. And what does Islam mean? It means to submit. It certainly doesn't mean freedom. That part they take quite literally. They're going to be on top. Mullah Omar is going to be in his deluxe cave with his washing machine. And you're going to see how white his clothes are. That was something Rush pointed out in the post 9-11 days, he said, they're so white, their clothes are so white. In fact, we, we did a parody of Molochs, him holding a little jug of Clorox called Molochs, because Rush said, how do they get their white so white? And that was our very first parody after 9-11, followed closely by those reports that bin Laden was hiding as a woman. And I'll never forget the email Rush sent. I sent an email to him and I said, they're saying he's hiding as a woman. Should I make a parody of him as a woman? We can make one and rush very concerned about hitting the right note post 9 11. he wrote me back and he said yes but be sure you make her ugly (laughs) like i was going to put bin laden's head on heather thomas what i'm dating myself with that anyway in this new paradigm america is condemned for colonizing north america israel despite being home to the jewish people since biblical times centuries before Islam emerged, is also a victimizer. Facts such as the Jewish state ending its occupation of Gaza in 2005 unilaterally don't fit into these narratives. So guess what? They're just ignored. Little wonder, Mr. Posner told me, our supposedly finest college campuses were overrun after October 7 with pro-Hamas sympathizers who cheered for the genocide of Jews. Now, I reported another effect of this miseducation earlier this month in the Sun, and I cited here in this current column, and this was from a YouGov poll. Among voters 18 to 29, I wrote, 20% agreed that the Holocaust is a myth, and 23% believed the Holocaust was exaggerated. In another survey conducted by schoen Cooperman Research, 53% of millennials and Gen Z didn't know Nazi Germany had murdered 6 million Jews. And 11%, more than 1 in 10, said Jews caused the Holocaust. The younger Americans are, the stronger their sympathy for the devil. Only 41% of Gen Z had a completely negative opinion of bin Laden. Only 41% said, we don't want anything to do with this guy. That's according to the Daily Mail survey. And that's less than half of the 86% of millennials. So as you can see, as people get younger, they're more favorable to bin Laden, of all people. And that same trend emerges when young people were asked if they believe bin Laden was, quote, a force for good. Among Gen Z, 8% said the Al-Qaeda leader's views and his actions were good, while 23% approved his views alone. For millennials, that support was 6 and 14% respectively, so 6% approved of his views and actions, while the other half just said, well, we really approve of his ranting and raving against America, Jewish people, freedom, women, The LBGTQ plus crowd, that hadn't really been invented as an acronym yet when Bin Laden was still on this side of the earth. Fortunately, he's under the dirt now, or under the water, I guess. They dumped him in the ocean after that fancy Muslim funeral, courtesy of you, the American taxpayer. Among Gen X and baby boomers, support for Bin Laden's views or actions and views was statistically insignificant. Just a couple of points here and there. They didn't list the margin of error in the Daily Mail, so I didn't write it was outside the margin of error, but it had to have been with a 1,000 people, while the percentages that said bin Laden's views and actions were bad declined with age as well. Among the baby boomers, 92% condemned bin Laden's terrorist views and acts. That goes down to 85%, not a big drop for Generation X, and it falls to 70 for millennials and then all the way down to 62% for Gen Z. So there you have the baby boomers, 65 plus, 92%, versus sixty-two percent for Generation Z. That's a huge drop. And you think what what is going to happen in another twenty years? What's what's that number going to be? They're going to put bin Laden on a stamp. That sounds ridiculous. It sounds fear mongering. I can't believe I hear those words coming out of my mouth in my real radio announcer voice. But here it is. This is where the trend is going if people don't wake up to this. Bin Laden's the guy who orchestrated the slaughter of thousands across the Mideast, Africa and America. And a key point is that he targeted who? He targeted civilians. He targeted people who had just gone to work on 9-11. He targeted people in our African embassies that had just gone to work. These were not military targets. Yet young people protesting Israel's response to the Hamas attack for its civilian toll in Gaza, they appear unmoved when the innocent dead are fellow citizens, or for that matter, Jews. They don't identify with them. For some reason, they identify With the very people who given the chance would literally cut their heads off taken in full all of this data demonstrates that america's future leaders the people we will need to defend western civilization are being indoctrinated with propaganda favorable to terrorists the very terrorists who would love to destroy this country would love to destroy our liberty would love to take away our right to vote, would love to take away women's rights to drive cars and to show their hair in public, would love, if nothing else gets you, listen to this, they would love to take away our alcohol. They would love to take away everything that the human spirit yearns for. They would stand between us and those God-given rights. And the fault for this trend lies with the education establishment. Big college. You ever notice you never hear the term big college? Everything else is big. Look at the billions of dollars a place like Harvard has. That's big college. And the fault lies with them. It lies with these school boards. It lies with your local PTA. It lies with teachers and their unions who, as agents of darkness plot fresh atrocities, are lulling the nation back into its pre-9-11 sleep. Well, in some small way, however you can, stop hitting that snooze button. Make sure people hear that alarm. Help sound that alarm. I've never done this before, but if you want to go and retweet my column, it's just one place people can go and get this. If you want to quote from it, feel free to quote from it and tell people, put out that Daily Mail piece. Try to sound an alarm on this, and as I was saying yesterday, try to do it in a persuasive way. Try to do it in a loving way. These kids have been miseducated. They haven't been taught the truth of 9-11. They've been failed by the schools. If you can peel off just one of them, you make a significant difference. Think if even everybody in this audience peeled off one young person from this group that thinks bin Laden is a great guy. That would probably be enough to make a dent in this poll and make the country a better place, make the country a safer place. And guess what? We're doing that for them, not for us. We're all on the back nine, as a friend from my school says of our age now, which was a little bit depressing, honestly. But we're doing it for them. You don't want a world where people admire Osama bin Laden. And now a little news from Vatican City. Remember that old joke, is the Pope Catholic? Well, turns out, right now, not so much. Now, I am not Catholic, but the Pope doesn't seem to mind telling me what to do, so I guess I can tell the Pope what to do, especially since I just went on a whole speech about speaking truth to power and standing up to evil and people who would apologize for terrorists. The headline in the New York Sun of this story is Chief Rabbis Rebuke Pope Francis over Gaza Comments Call for Holy Father to, quote, atone for his sins, unquote. This is a piece by David Afoon, who is our publisher at the New York Sun, and I've asked him to come on with us on New Year's Day, so he's going to be my interview on Monday, and I had an idea this theme of the sun rising on a new year. That's pretty cool, right? And we'll talk about Israel, we'll talk about the sun, we'll talk about his quest to save journalism, which sounds very grandiose, and it's too bad a lot of people recoil at the very title journalism, at the very job journalism. As I mentioned before, there's a real skew there, real political skew, and it's up to some people to light that candle against the darkness. I'm proud to be a small part of that. I don't do a hard sell. I don't talk about myself a lot, and I don't try to make you spend your money. I talked about that the other day, how odious that is to me, but I think when you read and hear some of the great work we're doing there in the New York Sun at nysun.com, you'll at least want to check us out, and hopefully if we do our job, we hold you. We make you want to get some benefit for your buck. We're not just trying to capture your dime, as Paul Simon sang in that great old song. David writes, the head of the Catholic Church, Pope Francis, has drawn the ire of the world's most prominent rabbis, signaling a level of tension with the Jewish community that has not been seen since the days of Pope Pius XII and the aftermath of the Holocaust. Pope Pius XII was the pope during World War II. And while I will say with pride, the Greek Orthodox priests in greece under nazi occupation were forging baptism certificates for jewish people trying to get them out of the country trying to give them protection from the nazis who were seeking to deport them to the death camps we know what the catholic church was doing now this pope has a chance to make amends for that and he seems to be falling well short of it at issue is a reported phone call last month between his holiness and israel's president isaac herzog during which the pope told Mr. Herzog that he is, quote, forbidden to respond to terror with terror, the Washington Post reported, citing an Israeli official. This was taken as a blunt rebuke over Israel's ongoing campaign against Hamas in Gaza. Now, I'll pause here and say, where does that whole thing about an eye for an eye come from? It comes from somewhere, right? I don't know if the Pope has ever read that book. I know it's Old Testament. uh, No, I know, but still. This attitude that this pope has is shocking to me. I grew up with Pope John Paul II, and as I said, I am not Catholic. But gosh, you heard that man speak about justice. You heard him speak out against communism, and you had to wish you were Catholic. A little tiny bit of you had to be Catholic. You heard his life story, his resistance to the Nazis. And you heard him preach against this culture of death that I talked about yesterday with assisted suicide, as they call it, encouraging people to kill themselves, this nihilism in TV and movies. And he was a great force for good. I don't see this pope at all that way. And it's too bad because the pope was always somebody that had moral authority. You didn't have to be Catholic to understand he was trying to stand on the side of righteousness. And that through behavior of many people in the church, of course, has completely been eroded here. You know, we hear a lot about proportional attacks. Israel should be proportional in their response to October 7th. Well, I'd invite you to go look at the recent New York Times reporting about what Hamas did to some of these women on October 7th. I I don't even want to describe it here on this show because it's so shocking. Think about where they were shooting these women. Think about where they were stabbing these women. And this is the New York Times reporting it. New York Times just published a lovely op-ed by the mayor of Gaza. Again, I'm doing air quotes. You can't see it. So they're certainly not in the tank for Israel. We know the anti-Semitism that's being given a voice there at the New York Times. And they're confirming this. If there was a proportional response, that's what Israel would be doing. Does Israel count up all the women that Hamas raped brutally and go pick out an equal number of women in Gaza and treat them to the same humiliations, torture, desecration of their bodies, slashing off pieces of their bodies while they're alive. Medieval stuff is more advanced. doesn't set back civilization as much as what Hamas did on October 7th. Attacking innocents is what Hamas did. How how do you do proportional? Proportional is one of those words that people are going to weaponize. There was nothing proportional about what Hamas did. There was already a ceasefire in place. And what did Hamas do? They decided they were going to break that ceasefire. Now people ask for a ceasefire again after all of that that they did? The Pope echoed this theme in subsequent remarks after reports emerged of the deaths of two Christian women near a Gaza church complex. At first, they blamed this on the IDF, the Israel Defense Forces, but the Israeli military conducted a review of the incident and denied that it was responsible. The IDF made note of Hamas fire nearby at the time, and we all know it was Hamas. We all know Hamas wants dead bodies. They want dead children. They want dead women. They want dead people. They want something that they can use. They want bodies they can wave around, just like Hezbollah did in the war, what was that now, 20 years ago, parade around the same corpse over and over and pretend that it's been killed by Israeli bombs. This is who these people are. This is who our young people don't realize they are. You wonder why the term Nazi doesn't have a sting? You wonder why calling... Trump-Hitler doesn't have a sting. People don't even have a connection to what war and real atrocities are. I've read about the atrocities that were committed by the Muslim Turks against my grandparents' generation. My grandmother, her whole family was slaughtered. She only had her sister that they managed to escape because the Turks would let the women go, some of them. The ones they didn't brutalize and mutilate, they would let go. They marched the men into the middle of the country and murdered them. These things are not that far back, and it can happen here. It can't happen to you if you just travel abroad. If we don't make clear to the forces of evil that if they harm our people, that if they erode our liberty, we are going to fight against it. We are not going to accept it. We're not going to take it lying down. And we sure could use the Pope. It's good to see these rabbis pushing back against them. But I've often said you can't just have Jewish people speaking out against them. I wish more people, even here in America, had spoken out against the Turkish genocide. And I am not Jewish either, but I certainly think I can lend my voice to people who are trying to kill. I don't think you have to identify with that group. We have to stand up for our general humanity. We have to stand up for that Western civilization that I was mentioning. This Pope seems to like to talk a lot. He seems to like to lecture America. He seems to like to talk about, for instance, allowing open borders. And yet, how many did the Pope take? How many did the Vatican take? He's a head of state, right? He took, I think, two families during Trump. How big of him? Donald Trump, I guess, has more respect for somebody who jumps into politics like this. And he, he has respect for the pointy hat. I guess the point he hat is a little bit magic. And for his station, for the legacy of St. Peter, that he didn't strike back ever at the Pope. But if it had been me, I'd have been loading these planes with people who are yearning to breathe free, we are told, who come from countries that are ravaged by war, all Catholic countries, by the way, in Latin America, and I'd be flying them right to Vatican City. I guess they don't have an airport, but I'd fly them right to Rome. And Greg Abbott should be doing this. Send them there. Where's the Pope? One of the richest organizations in America. One of the richest people in America. Richest landowners. And yet they'll lecture you, just like good leftists. There's a reason why communists banned the church. They don't want the competition from places like the Catholic Church. They want you to spend the money. They want to tell you what to do, but they don't do it themselves. I mentioned Gerald Posner. I would invite you to go back and listen to my interview with him. It is about his book, God's Bankers A History of Money and Power at the Vatican. I had my friend Tom Grace conduct that interview for me. Tom is a Catholic and Tom is also a thriller writer. He wrote a great book about a secret cardinal. It's called The Secret Cardinal, and it's over in China and it had a real life parallel so i asked tom to pinch it for me that was quite a while ago but it's still relevant today it still illustrates all of the machinations of the money and power at the vatican i think it's more appropriate now more than ever in our lifetime when we have a pope who seems to want to be a pundit you can't be a pope and a pundit you can be a pope you can be a pundit but you can't be a pope and a pundit by the way the most delicious pope name of all time if i was catholic and if i was named pope I be Pope Pizza bias. That's a Pope. All right, it's the end of the year, so a couple of fun things now. One is Demon Wilson. Now, do you know who DeMond Wilson is? If you're hearing that song right now, and you're saying, yeah, Quincy Jones, I know that song, then you know who Damon Wilson is. He played Lamont Sanford on the hit show Sanford and Son under Red Fox. That was a remake. That was an American remake of a British show called Steptoe and Son. One of my all-time favorites. Really holds up. You can still go back and watch all those episodes the way that you did back in the 70s, if you were me, and still really enjoy it. This is a clip from an interview on Comedy Hype News posted on Twitter by Pastor John K. Amanchukwu Chakul Sr. That's A-M-A-N-C-H-U-K-W-U. I'm a Greek, I can pronounce a long name like that. All those vowels and consonants don't scare me none. Here's DeMond Wilson.
2: 1982, I went full-time into the ministry. The Lord called me full-time into the ministry. I preached before thousands in Africa, thousands in China, in every city in Hamelin in America. How old are you? I'm 35. I, so I gotta suit your age. That's why you don't know. You, I, thought maybe you, I thought you did book. your homework before you interviewed me. Hollywood, I've never had anything to do with any kind of clique. I'm not a clickish person. Right, when I assumed that. Followers. When I grew up, I had the kids followed me. They followed my dress style. They followed the coolness, the way I walked. When I was in the war, I was a leader. I ain't never followed nobody. So these cliques, I can tell you things about people you named that that the the little fruit loops. They bend over billies. You cannot make it to the top in that industry without selling your soul. What do you know about the brother that just came forward, Christian Keys? You heard you heard of this young actor. He just came forward and said that he was sexually harassed by a billionaire Hollywood person in power. There's assumptions of names. Is that something that happened in your industry? Like, were you ever respectfully? I'm asking you as again. Here you go my industry. It's not my industry. I'm a Broadway actor. i that to Hollywood. Wait a minute. You didn't okay. do your homework. I'm going to tell you. I came to California. I did a film in Canada called The Dealing or the Berkeley to Boston 40 Brick Bag Lost Blues. I went back to Broadway and I was at the public theater. Al Pacino was down there. The late Ron O'Neill was down there. You had a lot of actors that became famous that were down there working for Joe Papp in the village at the at the uh uh, uh the that theater it is renowned and walter Mirisch from Mirisch studio from the, the Mirisch brothers came to new york and he cast me in my first major motion picture of the organization uh with sydney poitier and that's why when i first came to california we shot it in san francisco and people saw the dailies and they liked my work. And so I said, oh, you know what? I'm going to move out there because I'm getting a lot of offers and I don't want to be doing this bi-coastal thing. So I moved to California and I did Mission Impossible and a couple of uh TV spots and then all in the family. And then I got a phone call from Bud Yorkin, and he asked me to if I wanted to do a series with Red Fox. So i would never been a part of any of that nonsense. I don't respect those people. I don't care about that. I'm 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 you know, I told you I was I, I had connections. I would nobody was gonna say nothing to me. I get it. And I and it made me think when you just said kind of the comment about some of the people that we've known in the industry and what they might have to do to get to the top. Can you give me all of them. All of them. You name your biggest black actors, you name your biggest white actors you name your biggest female Latino actresses, they all have to do it. I just thought that was a great
0: clip. I thought it was something nice to hear about Hollywood that tells us all that we're not crazy. And I thought if I didn't play it, you probably wouldn't hear it. So here it is. I've always loved everything I've heard about Red Fox and Demond Wilson. He has a book called Second Banana about his time on that show. Hollywood did both men dirty, as they say, and all they wanted to do was share laughter and love with this world. If you're interested in old shows like that, classic shows like that, I won't call them old, timeless shows like that, there's a great resource out there at metvlegends.org. That's the Television Academy Foundation. They do something great. They just take a bunch of classic actors, put a camera on them, and let them talk, sometimes for hours. There's two and a half hours with Ricardo Montalban on there, for example, and he just tells some great stories. It's really something worth watching. If you're on a long trip, you can just listen to it. There's nothing to see. It's just them sitting there talking. You want something to watch. You want to see what Hal Linden has to say about Barney Miller, go check those out. I've watched a bunch of them. They're so enjoyable. Pat Morita's clips, you can just watch clips too. They've cut them up. His clips on Red Fox, his impression of Red Fox is just amazing. And he talks about just what a generous man he was, as does Della Reese. He talks about how generous he was. She has this great description where she says he, he would reach into his pocket if you were in need, and whatever he pulled out, he would give to you because he was just that kind of man. Makes you see why the IRS ended up going after him. Of course, we can't have charity like that starting at home, but this was a great clip. I enjoyed that. I enjoyed listening to that, I found it a little funny that DeMond Wilson has basically turned into his TV father, Fred G. Sanford, because he sounded... He sounded like he had that tone in there. He he did everything but call that poor interviewer big dummy. But I did enjoy that. I hope you enjoyed it as well. (music) Lastly, a little personal celebration and a recommendation if you're a consumer of adult beverages. First, though, congratulations to my Rutgers Scarlet Knights football team for triumphing in the pinstripe bowl at Yankee Stadium over the Miami Hurricanes. At 7-5, and five, this is Rutgers' first winning season in 10 years. It's been a long time coming. I remember when they couldn't get in a bowl game at all. I was in the Rutgers Marching Scarlet Knights. I was in the marching band. We went all the way to Ireland to play in a bowl game and lose in 1989. So we know what it was like. We could never get invited to a bowl game. They they even invented a bowl game once for us, the Garden State Bowl at Giants Stadium and I don't even think we could get to that or that we could win that. Now there's plenty of more bowls. There's something new called the Pop Tart Bowl, which sounds like a pretty delicious bowl, if you ask me. A friend of mine said they should call the stadium the Toaster, which I thought was clever. Hopefully, next year we get to go to the Pop Tart Bowl, just because, imagine it, the players probably get tons of Pop Tarts. That'd be great, be delicious. But congratulations to them winning. This was Rutgers' first ever win against the Hurricanes. Fats like that are really something when you consider that Rutgers University played Princeton in what's recognized as the very first college football game. They beat Princeton 6-4. You can get Rutgers National Champions 1869 shirts because the date of that game was November 6, 1869. Talk about a long time ago. That was the year Rutgers' own Garrett Hobart, the 24th Vice President of the United States, married his wife, Jenny Tuttle Hobart, Gus, as he was known, as I'm sometimes known, by the way, my full name is Konstantinos in Greek, was the class of 1863. So quite a while ago, really the closest New Jersey ever got to a president that was one of us. Grover Cleveland, yes, I know he was born here, but he left when he was three. He had no memories of New Jersey, although they are making a presidential library there for him at his birthplace in Caldwell, New Jersey, but not really part of New Jersey. Woodrow Wilson he served as governor for two terms. Yes, he was the president of Princeton, but he was also a horrible racist, so who wants him? And as the first Democrat elected to consecutive terms after the Civil War, he did a lot to roll back civil rights and to subjugate African-Americans again and to whip up the Klan after many Republican presidents had driven them into the dust. So who wants to Wilson? We could have used a man like Gus Hobart, unfortunately. He passes away while McKinley's vice president. If he hadn't passed away, if he hadn't had a weak heart as well as a big, loving heart, he might have been president of the United States when McKinley was tragically assassinated in 1901 instead of Theodore Roosevelt. And then who knows how history might have unfolded. As for that plug, that New Year's Eve plug, I want to mention Eric LeGrand. Some of you may be familiar with that name. Eric LeGrand was playing at the MetLife Stadium against Army 10 years ago, it was now. And unfortunately, he suffered a tragic accident. He was paralyzed from neck down, which he remains today when the Rutgers coach, then and now, after a stint at the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, he signed Eric McGrand onto the team, although obviously he couldn't play to get him some benefit from the n f l salary and give him a little bit of the career that he might have had. Eric is an amazing young man i'm I'm so humbled by him, I see him and Obviously, he can't move. He he just can't move his head, but he's still smiling. And he does color commentary for the radio for the Rutgers football game, such as today, that pinstripe bowl game. He does every episode. He's, he's still able to speak. He's still able to give those great insights. He's such an inspiration. And he opened a coffee shop right after COVID because he said people needed to get out there again and get back together. And what do you do that over? You do that over a cup of coffee. And so he just opens a coffee shop in his hometown, which is wonderful. And now he has something called Le Grand Whiskey. And this is a bourbon. Bourbon is something over my own heart. And just so you don't think I'm selling this, I'm certainly not getting reimbursed for this. But at the beginning of the season, I tweeted Eric and I said, I'm going to buy a bottle of your bourbon every time the Scarlet Knights win a game. And I didn't plan for them to win you know, six of the first seven games of the season, but they did. And uh, I didn't mind. I just kept buying them. I was, I was pouring them for friends, and everybody was loving it. It is from Kentucky. It is the real thing. This is not – there's some whiskeys made down there in Colts Neck, New Jersey, for instance. People make bourbons all over the place now, but it has to be from Kentucky if it's going to be the real thing. And not only does this taste great, but sales support the Christopher and Dana Reeve, foundation for spinal research to help people who aren't as fortunate as Eric was, if you can call it that, that he had this great support staff, that he was a member of Rutgers University, that big scarlet family of ours. So if you're of a bourbon mind, if you're looking for something to pick up for New Year's Eve and you see it there on a shelf, go ahead, pick it up, try it. Trust me, you will like it. I've given it to some real bourbon people who really know bourbon and they have loved it. So I think you'll love it, too, and you'll be supporting a great cause. Again, I am an uncompensated spokesman for it. I just like the stuff, and I like to do a good deed. Speaking of Garrett Hobart, my wife Kathy made an amazing discovery a couple of years ago. Kathy is a genealogist, and she went back and was looking at her family tree. She found out she and Garrett Hobart are fourth cousins five times removed. I told her if she had told me when I first met her, I would have been really dumbstruck. I would have really been in awe of her and thought that was really cool. The reason she didn't notice it sooner, because she has traced her genealogy all the way back before the time of Christ. She's way back to the mythical creatures, uh, gave birth to her family. She's followed her family tree to amazing lengths back into the past. And The reason she didn't notice this is because the name Hobart was Hubbard. They some of the family members changed it to Hobart from Hubbard, and so she had never noticed that this Hubbard line of her family traced to Garrett Hobart until she went and looked for it. She did Tom Grace's family tree, and if you go to historyauthor.com, if you want some information on genealogy just for you, you can go there, click the genealogy tab at historyauthor.com, get some information on that. I would like you to be well prepared if you decide to go down that road, because there are certainly charlatans out there and people who are just looking to take your money and aren't really going to point you in the right direction. As a former scientist myself, as an animal scientist, that's what my degree is in from Rutgers Animal Science, and a veterinary technician, I see these ads for your cat's DNA. I just want to flip out. Why didn't I think of this scam? Okay, your cat is a domestic short hair, most likely. Derek would like this. He has cats. He has lovely cats. There's not even cat breeds. They don't They don't really talk about cat breeds the way that they do with dogs. They're not going to tell you anything. You're not going to find out your cat is royalty. You already know your cat is royalty. Who chooses the chair that the cat's going to sit on? The cat chooses it. Who gets the best food? The cat. Who gets you up in the middle of the night? The cat. The cat's already a queen. They're all royalty. They know back since Egyptian times that they've been queens. They don't need you to tell them they're royalty through some DNA test scams. I think they're scams. I I eventually will look into this and write about it in the New York Sun because I just find that really taking advantage of people. So anyway, if you have a hankering to shake your family tree, want to see who falls out, that's a resource for you. The genealogy tab there at historyauthor.com. Tell them Tom Grace sent you. Why not? great frequent caller to the Rush Limbaugh show. It was always great to hear Tom's voice and Rush was always very friendly with him. Let him plug his books on the show, his thriller novels, his Nolan Kilkenny series, which Rush was not really a fan of. Well, we certainly weren't. We didn't want people calling all the time when we were screening, looking for free iPhones and looking to plug their stuff, give their website URLs and things like that. But Tom was always very good. And so Rush was very happy to plug his work. And let me tell you, that makes a book or made a book, shoot to the top of the charts. Well, that's a wrap for today. Heck, that's a wrap for 2023. I hope you enjoyed today's pod and found it informative pod. And also, I hope you'll forgive me for making you cringe and roll your eyes that I refer to this pod as pod. I don't know. Maybe it just makes me feel young. It makes me think of Pogs. Remember Pogs?
1: I got some cool Pogs. Elf Pogs. Remember Elf? He's back. In pod form.
0: Yes, here's hoping that in your 2024, everything comes up in Millhouse. In the meantime, please support Derek Hunter's Pogcast at DerekHunter.Locals.com and Patreon.com slash DerekHunterPodcast, not podcast, podcast. Spell that right when you're trying to go to the URL, but when I'm goofing around, I will call it a Pogcast. Imagine Derek on a Pog. Forget these book giveaways he does. A Derek Hunter Pog. I'm definitely pitching that idea in the new year. It is going to take the country by storm. As for me, visit mysun.com for my columns. You can find me at History Dean on Twitter, And HistoryAuthor.com if you enjoy my time keeping Derek's chair warm. You can check out some of my interviews there, some of my shows on YouTube, produced up with a little video flair. And of course, before I forget to say it... Merry New Year! Happy New Year. In this country, we say Happy New Year. (laughs) Thank you for correcting my English, which stinks. I am Nanja Ibuko, exchange student from Cameroon. Happy New Year! Ah, sweet Eddie Murphy at the height of his powers. Another man from New Jersey. Not originally, but he did live not too far away from me in Alpine, New Jersey, right up the hill. Fine man, hilarious comic, great to see him break what people might have thought was a little bit of a curse on really funny people back in the 70s and 80s. That is from 1983's Trading Places. Maybe I'll give that a watch this New Year's Eve. Anyway, whatever you're doing to ring in 2024, I hope you have a blast, and I hope I see you right back here on New Year's Day. Can't wait to see you then. Hey, you! You better cut that nose down if you don't want some trouble. Don't so have me come over there and you budget bunch of trouble, buddy, and I'll beat it.